on more than one occasion, uh, I, have five, I have five kids, and on more, more than one occasion, um, my kids have had times where growing up, they wanted to do something on their own. Um, any of y'all have kids like that? Any of y'all ever were a kid like that? Raise your hand, every single person in this room. Um, anyway, we all do. We all want to do things our own way. And, and, I, and there's been times where, where I've seen that in my kids as they were growing up. And, uh, and I would want to, I'd come into the situation, I'd want to help them. I'd want to say, hey, let me do this for you. And they're like, no, 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 I want to do it, I want to do it. Okay, okay. have fun. Go for it. Do your thing. Inevitably, when they came to the realization that they couldn't do it any longer, or they were tired, or they were whatever, they would turn and, and say to me, Daddy, I need you. And I, I don't know about you, but as a father, I love those moments. And, and, I, would, and I would help them and we would accomplish it together. And, and then sometimes they, they would turn and they would give me a big hug or a kiss on the cheek or I love you or thank you, daddy, or whatever. And what an amazing, incredible feeling that brings. You know, our, our heavenly father, God, is not much different. God comes along to us and says, let me help. Let, let, me, let me help you. Let me come alongside of you. Let me, let me do this for you. And, and, and yet, he allows us to choose whether or not we're going to let him. No, debt, no, no, God, I've got this. I'm, I'm good. I'm all right. Just, I'll get this. And then we get to the end of our self, at the end of our rope, at the end of our whatever it is, and we turn and we look to God. And the beautiful thing about God is, is that even though I could take 15,000 steps away from God, God is only one step away. Always. And, and so I turn to him and I say, Daddy, God, I need you. I need you. And the beauty of God is, is that he longs, to, he longs to, to, to help us understand he's there and he loves us and he cares deeply for us and he longs to be in relationship with us. And that's why this question that I'm asking and that we began a journey on last week, and if you, didn't, if you weren't here last week and you haven't seen what we talked about last week, I want to challenge you to go back and watch it because this is a... This is a journey, a marathon. It's not a sprint. This is a journey over time. I'm still on that journey. And, and, and I pray that, that that journey will always be until I see him face to face. And, and I believe it's true for us. We're on a journey. It's, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. But this question of how's your soul? As we ask that question, maybe you've never been asked that question ever in your life. I know back in June when I got asked this question, it was the first time I ever could remember somebody asking me, how's your soul? And like me, maybe this is where you're at. You don't know how to answer that question. Oh, I could give you my best pastor's answer to that question. Oh, I could give you my Sunday school answer to that question, but the reality 
was, and I love what the guy who asked me said, take your pastor hat off and tell me what you really feel. And I couldn't answer it. And maybe you're here today and that same thing, you're going, I, I don't even know how, I don't even know where I would begin to answer that question. Can I just say to you, that's okay. God still loves you. He always will. That'll never end. You're completely, completely pleasing to him. He loves you deeply. But he longs for you to be able to answer that question. How's your soul? We started talking about the soul last week. The fact that you are a soul. You don't have a soul. You have a body. God in Genesis chapter 2 reveals to us that he breathed into Adam the breath of life and Adam became a living being. I believe now that the way God forms life is through, is through conception and that at the moment of conception, God breathes into that baby the breath of life and that baby becomes a living being, a living soul. They, aren't, they, don't, they, they don't have a soul, they are a soul. And the beauty of that is for every one of us in this room, everybody who's hearing my voice, every single one of us has a, a, you are a soul that God has created, that God has formed and knit together and you are fearfully and wonderfully made. The problem is, is that sin crept into the world and it caused a division between us and God and it created within us, in our soul, a God-shaped hole. That, that's the, that's the, 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 I guess, the shape that I'm going to give it. A God-shaped hole. That all of us strive to try to fill in our life. And oftentimes it's not with a, it's not with God, it's with a square or a rectangle or a rhombus or a trapezoid or some other shape that doesn't fit and we just can't understand why won't the square fill the hole? Because it's a square and it wasn't designed to fill the hole. There's only one thing that's been designed to fill the God-shaped hole in your life, and that is God. That's it. And God has created your soul for the purpose of being his home. Your soul, God's home. Question that we asked last week is, is God at home in your soul? Follow-up question to that is, why does it matter if God is at home in my soul? Would you turn or would you scroll to Proverbs chapter 4, verses 18 through 23? Proverbs chapter 4, verses 18 through 23. Solomon is writing to his son, and he's telling him, listen to these instructions, take heart to these instructions, Heed these instructions, hear them, live them. And in verse 23, he says this to his son as God says this to us. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. 
Keep your heart, keep your soul with all diligence. In other words, another, another way to say it is above everything else in your life, above all the things that you deem as important, as valuable, the most valuable thing, the most important thing you can do with your life is to keep your heart, is to guard your soul, is to be on alert, be mindful, be always aware of what's going on that is happening and affecting and how your soul is affecting. Protect it, guard it, fight off intruders, be willing to do whatever is necessary to guard your heart. We get that physically. We, we do heart checkups. We, we have doctors check our, our blood pressure. We, we go in for scans to see if we have blockages, all of that stuff. We understand that physically because if this thing inside our body goes out, that's bad. What's even worse is, is that if we're not willing to evaluate and examine our soul, the reality of that is everything. Notice what it says, for from it flow the springs of life. The idea is, is that every decision that you make, every avenue of your life, every, every path that your life goes is affected from your soul, is impacted from your soul, is directed by your soul. If you notice, the flow of this is from inside outward, not outward in. From the inside, your soul outward to everything in life. Every aspect of your life is affected by the condition of your soul. And we understand that inward to outward thing. How many of you have ever had the cold, or a cold, or the flu? You get it. I mean, hello? It, when you get a cold or the flu, you feel it inside, and then it affects everything outside of you. So we get that physically. But spiritually, why, why are we surprised when somebody gets up and says, how's your soul? And we're not sure how to answer that. And we realize, whoa, this is impacting every area of my life. So maybe you're asking that question. Why does it matter if God is at home in my soul? Well, here, here's the thing, and, and I'm going to give you two answers to this. If he's not at home in your soul, then here's the deal. Life, life, is what you make it. Life is about what you make it. And it's so easy for us to make life all about the outside me. So easy to make life all about the external me, the physical me. We fall into this trap that if we can just be healthy, wealthy, popular, productive, influential, then life will be good. And so we throw ourselves into the rat race of life, the hamster wheel of life, the flow of life, the chase of life, whatever metaphor you want to use there, thinking that internal happiness will come from external success. If we just try hard enough, if we just wait a little bit longer, if we just reach the next level, then we'll be at peace. Then we'll feel happiness. Then we'll feel joy. 
I share with you a story about a man, not to judge him, not to condemn him, and not to shame him. But in June, June of 2005, there was an interview on 60 Minutes from Steve Croft with the New England Patriots quarterback, who I'm sure all of you know or have heard about, Tom Brady. This was in 2005. And he was asking him about his success on and off the field. And what he says in the interview should blow us all away. Sky has it all, according to the world standard. Here's what, here's what Brady said. There's times where I'm not the person that I want to be. I have Super Bowl rings, and yet I still think there's something greater out there for me. I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it is. You've reached your goal. You have your dream. You've fulfilled your life. And he says, me? I think it's got to be more than this. I mean, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, I, I've done it all. And he says this, what else is there for me? Steve Croft says, Tom, what's the answer? And here's Tom's reply. I wish I knew. I wish I knew. My heart aches for him. The guy this year decides to play another year and loses his wife in the process. I don't, I don't think he's still found the answer. I think he's still searching for this thing that's out there to give him some meaning and purpose. He's got it all. And instead of, instead of condemning him or judging him or whatever, what, what I want to find myself doing is praying that God would help him to come to see that he needs Jesus. That that's the answer that he's looking for. Because see, here's the deal. We can have it all, and we can still feel empty, lifeless, and hollow. If I just do more, if I just have more, if I just do this, then I will fill in the blank. The problem is, is that what ends up happening is it backfires on us, and instead of giving us life, it sucks the life from us. Why does it matter if God is at home in your soul? Because if you're the author of your story, if life is all about what you make it, then my friend, at the end of it, you will come to realize that you are empty and hollow and that, like Tom, I wish I knew what the answer was. So, so, if God is at home in your soul, what does that matter? Then what matters about that is, is that God is, not you, God is the one who gets to make your life about him. God is the author of your story. You hand over the pen of your life and say, God, write my story. 
And God begins to write your story. And the beauty of that is Psalm 107, verses 8 through 9. And I didn't put this on my notes, so I'm going to read it along with you. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love. What does that mean? That means he will always love you. For his wondrous works to the children of man. For he, Look at this. He satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul. Guess what? Your, your soul gets hungry. I, I, I was, when I was reading this, my mind is weird, okay, guys? Um, I'm reading this, and I'm thinking of Winnie the Pooh. I've got a, you know, a, a uh, what is it? A rumbly in my tumbly. You have a rumbly in your soul. And what was the thing that would satisfy his rumbly and his tumbly? Starts with H and ends with honey. Honey, thank you. The only thing that can satisfy the hunger of your soul is God. That's it. That rumbling that's going on in your life, that, that upsetness that's happening on the inside of you, that's God telling you, hey, I can fill you up and I will fill you up with good things. Here's the one problem with, this, with that verse that, that we have. Is circle that word good. We love to think that we get to define that. And, and then, when God doesn't come through with what we think is the definition of good, then somehow that's God's fault, and he's the one that's messed up, and he's the one that's to blame. My friend, you are not God, you're not the creator, and you're not the giver of the good. God, God's the giver of the good. He gets to define that. But he wants to fill your soul with all good things. So, so I love this, Psalm 42.10, a huge verse for me in the last several months. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. Look at what he says. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. David is recognizing that we will have times in our lives of defeat, discouragement, depression, failure, all of these things that we will feel, but those things are not who you are. Those things are not to be the thing that defines you. And, and he's, not, he's not saying this to somehow shame you or to somehow make you feel guilty or whatever. He's saying it, listen, instead of wallowing in that, why not turn to God? Why not say, God, here is my discouragement. Here is my depression. Here is my, my failure. Here is what, here's all these feelings that I have. God, I'm placing them in you. I hope in you. And what I love is, he says, and again, I shall praise him, my salvation, and my God. Look, turn back to Proverbs chapter 4 again, verse 18. The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn. How many of y'all went outside and saw the big, the big thing out in the sky? And were like, oh. This morning I told the first service to go out after the service and everybody just stand out there and just go like this. Can you imagine somebody driving by and like 200 and some odd people out there? Like they'd be like, what is happening over there? That place is a cult. Uh, whatever, I don't know. So if you... Feel like it? Walk outside in a little bit, and not yet. We're not done yet. Almost. Walk outside and go. Ah, sun. 
And then think about this. God can fill you up to feeling even greater than that. He has given us that, I love that, light of dawn which shines brighter and brighter until day. Notice what verse 19 says. It's interesting. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Verse 20, my son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, your soul. Why? For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. So what does God want to do? God wants to give you life. God wants to give you healing in your flesh. Now again, you don't get to define that. God does. But the beauty of knowing God and having God at home in my soul doesn't come from my stuff. It comes from him. I want you to see another passage. That, that clock back there is three minutes fast. So, No, literally. Uh, turn to Luke chapter 12. Luke, I am your father. Um, sorry, I like Star Wars. Uh, Luke chapter 12, um, and we're going to start in verse 15. Jesus speaking. He said to them, Take care, be on your guard against all covetousness. Listen to this. One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. He told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. He said, I'll do this. I will tear down my barns, build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Verse 20. But God says to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Why does it matter if God's at home in your soul? Well, the truth is, is that the only way for him to be at home in your soul, there's one way. It's not through possessions. It's not even through your dues. Your dues, your don'ts, your list of whatever's religious activity that you make up in your mind, or even that you hear from a pastor in a pulpit. It's one thing. And John 3.16 makes it clear. For God so loved the world He gave his only son that whoever, check this out, whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. It doesn't say for whoever believes in religion, whoever does these things right and these things right and those things right will have, no, it says whoever believes in Jesus will not perish but have everlasting life life. Here's the thing. What, what if 
And this is to get you thinking about next week. Remember, it's a journey. You may not be able to be here next week, and whatever that's, you know, it'll be on online. It'll be available later for you to watch. But I want you to think about this. What if life is more about who you are on the inside than what you do on the outside? What, what if life is more about who you are on the inside than what you do on the outside? The guy that Daish and I met with said it this way. Who I be is more important than what I do. And then he made this statement, and it has blown me away. He said, after all, you are not a human doing. You are a human being. Father, thank you that you know our hearts. Thank you you know the answer to that question of is God at home in our soul? You know the answer to the question in our life of how's your soul? You know everything about us. And you desperately love us. You desperately long to be in relationship with us. God, thank you that you made a way possible through your son Jesus. So God, I, I don't know a single heart here. I don't know a single soul here. I don't have to. You do. And I pray that each one of us would be willing to guard our heart, to evaluate our heart, to take a look at it and see what's going on. Because out of it flows everything of life. God, this morning, would you help us just to be honest with you and with ourselves? Not worry about what anybody else thinks. Not worry about what what even I myself think that I would be willing to listen to you and let you direct my steps, direct my thoughts, my feelings, my emotions, my soul. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to be standing right down here at the front row. If you would like to come and have someone pray for you, I would love to do that. Just come and tap me on the shoulder, and, uh, and I will pray for you. Um, if you're not wanting to do that and there's somebody next to you, um, just tap them on the shoulder and say, hey, would you pray for me? Listen, as the church, as brothers and sisters in Christ, if someone asks you that, can I just give you a little bit of a hint? That's God saying to you, pray. You, you don't need to pray about it and say, oh, God, should I or shouldn't I? No, that's, that's pretty clear. Please pray for me. And here's the thing. You can't mess it up. You know why? The Bible even says that if you don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit of God is praying on your behalf anyway. So you can't mess it up. So why not pray for somebody who is reaching over to you and saying, hey, could you, I need, could you? You don't have to even know what's going on. God knows. It's all that matters. Pray for him. I'll be sitting, like I said, standing right down here praying. You guys stand up. We're going to sing. And uh, if you want me to pray for you, I'd love to. So let's do this.